wheat volatility is riding high. And the cattle price won't slide. We wonder what's going to happen next. Smart money's buying sheep. Your advice comes pretty cheap. Why don't you ask what we can do? Just the two of us. Making podcasts on the fly. Just, Just the, the two, two of us. Just the two of us. You and I. And I. Uh, welcome to 2023 and the Ag Watchers podcast for the year. Uh, my name is Ryan Hoiberg. Um, I'm from uh, Rimfire Resources, part of an agribusiness recruitment firm um, that specialises in the ag sector. I uh, have been there for about 11 or 12 years, um, been on the podcast a few times, um, and the creator of the Hoiberg Tangent, um, <laughs> due to some small feedback I gave both hosts, which they took to heart. Um, I'm sitting here with the two favourites of the uh, the ag world, and they pop up on my LinkedIn every other second or third sort of stage with what they do, but uh, your hosts, Matt Dalglish and Andrew Whitelaw. There you go. Thank you, Ryan. That was a good intro, mate. Um, and you, I was just thinking while you were saying that, you'll probably, you'd be up there with one of the most frequently, uh, uh, you know, kind of um, uh, used uh, guests on the show, I think, with, uh, with Chris Lawson. Uh, it was Chris Hoiberg to my friends. Often. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I never Andrew forgets my name as he's trying to reference. <laughs> yep. And, um, yes, and it, and Andrew, Andrew is on the podcast, but he's noticeably much quieter today. Um, he's he sustained an injury. Apparently, he was telling us off air just before we started. No, injury... uh, it's it's probably going to be something that people will be pretty happy. But I've sustained what I think, and this is my hypothesis, a nan bread injury. <laughs> I was going to say a deep throat injury, but um, you've injured the the inner depths of your throat, Andrew, of, of my esophagus. So I'm. Um... <laughs> in abject pain at the moment so i'm gonna so i'm only gonna join in if there's something really <laughs> pertinent and important and i'm just gonna suck on an ice cube for the rest of the podcast there you go so um unfortunately for those there's a there's a certain subset of our listeners uh ryan that that likes andrew's scottish accent um so they're going to be disappointed severely disappointed that they're going to listen to you and i for most of the podcast all, all, all the 50 year old women well, there's a certain subset that would probably be paying for uh, the footage of you just sucking on ice cubes as well, I would have thought, uh, that we're staring at. Well, I, exactly. wonder, I wonder if the more husky, gravelly voice will, uh, <clears throat> will, will yeah. do a bit better. When you um, when you turn up your Scottish brogue, your accent there, Andrew, does that hurt the throat or does that make it a little bit easier? It smooths it because it's such a beautiful, soft language. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, Chris, I was going to say Ryan, Chris, Chris, um, Chris Hoiberg, like you said, that's one of your other alter egos, um, creator of the Hoiberg Tangent. We might not have too many Hoiberg Tangents on this. We'll just say we go. But just because you've been on before, we, um, we're not going to let you off the hook with the sixth sense. We're still going to do that just to see if there's any changes. So I might start off just to give Andrew a bit of time to suck at an ice cube and, um, and think of what he's going to say next. But I might start off with uh, the labour market. Uh, ongoing challenge. Oh, you want me to do one? Oh, well, yeah. <clears throat> you can still do You can say oh, one word. Do you want me to ask myself? Is that, do you want me to co-host with Matt and you just, you're the guest? Yeah, yeah. On you go. <laughs> I'll go again then. Uh, 2023. Uh, going to be an interesting uh, 
interesting horizons, but um, could be uh, unforeseen. Graduate recruitment. An amazing market that's been really interesting to watch over the last 12 months. Christmas, New Year holiday. Uh, Cricket. Yeah, I thought you, yeah, because you are a bit of a cricket fan and player, aren't you? Uh, Favorite band. Ooh. Uh, that's probably my my one area of weight. I don't really like this is an aside, but I, I didn't know who Billy Joel was the other day when my oh. partner went to a concert the other day and, and I thought Tina Arena was where they were playing. And then that's not a joke. So she's <laughs> and she said she was at the MCG and I said, I thought you were at Tina's. So I I, I actually genuinely don't not a big you user. You're one of the you're one of these people that don't really listen or like music. I'm an AM an AM operator. Oh really? Or so podcast. it's talk talk back, only talk back. So you could convince me some of the songs you sing are created by you guys. Like <laughs> I have a very uh, minimal music knowledge. So favorite band would probably be the Ag Watchers podcast. <laughs> I've uncovered a I've uncovered fa- a, se- fa- a secret. Favorite film. Uh, favorite film. Um, uh, any given Sunday. Oh yeah, is that the one with Al Pacino? No, no, is it? Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, I was thinking um, of. And the other one What's that's it? good is the other one with um the um the Titans. Um remember the Titans. That that would probably be my other Oh yeah, yeah. That's she's pulling those ones out of the For some reason your microphone's not working. Mm-hmm. You got What's me? That? Yeah, sorry, you lost me there. I've, I've, I, think the, the I think the internet connection was unstable. Uh, radio. No, I was just going to say that, <laughs> that those uh, movie references, uh, Any Given Sunday and Remember the Tritons, wasn't it? Titans. Titans. Titans, yeah. They're both, they're both 80s films, aren't they? No, nah, they'd be 90s. No, I remember the time, no. early 2000s. That's was a, it? Okay. That's, they're, both NF, they're both sport movies, but that's okay. really what ticks. Mm. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, I thought there was another... I'm thinking when you said the one about any, any given Sunday, I thought there was there was one that had Jack Thompson in it. It was about the Australian outback, something about a, oh, a Sunday. Um, was that Sunday too far away or something? Or yeah, yeah, no, not that movie. Yeah, this no, that was a bit. That was a bit mad. NFL on Sundays, <laughs> radio, um, and coaching or something. So there you go. I think that's that, that's the six anyway. But um, so Ryan, we've got you in here because we we know that this time of the year there can be sometimes a lot of people changing jobs. Um, you know, end of the year, start of the new year type thing, and also um, people that have finished say their courses looking for work. So we might go into the graduate side in a minute, but we'll just kind of see if you can give us a bit of a summary of. You know, we know last year was a real, um, you know, kind of stress for for the whole of the agricultural supply chain, I guess, and other sectors as well in terms of the labour market. But do you want to give us a rundown of how things have or how, what, how they're shaping up for 2023? What's it look like? Yeah, yeah, not a problem at all. So, so probably to summarise where we sort of finished 2022 before we go into sort of what's potentially going to occur, where we sort of finished the year was, yeah, re- record high labour stress um there was a significant increase in um advertising for the second year in a row which indicates um lack of internal knowledge of candidates who might be available or recommendations which is if you're going to market it means you don't know anyone um or you're looking to you know find people um regional recruitment um just for smashed for 18 months because of um, a number of issues but 
Um, and, and not only in the agricultural sector as well. If you look at the, you know, the ABS, I think the, the unemployment rate finished around that sort of 3.4% in November. And that was even with 60 or 70,000 jobs being added to the market. So the, the you know, the, the labour market was trending in a significant um, uh, tight phase across all types of roles into the agri-sector. Um, what we saw was um, pressure across not only companies to find staff, but also to retain staff. Um, the, the challenge that I think will go into 2023 are really interesting around um, staff culture and and attitudes around um, workplace in, engagement and, and those things, which will, which will come to fruition. And I think they're already coming to fruition in the sort of first two weeks of what we've seen. Um, what, what definitely occurred was an increase in salaries. So, so we do, um, so Rimfi have two sort of internal metrics to track the market. We have a, a rural jobs index, which we've spoken about before, um, that, that literally tracks advertisements. There's a number of other firms that sort of do that. I know you guys have started using some of your own sort of statistics around sort of, um, probably more yours is more labor sort of, um, blue collar type work. Ours is across the, the board. What we saw in 2022 was, um, again, a record year. So 2021 was a record year. So to give context, we normally, between 2011 to 2019, there's roughly sort of 1,000 to 2,000 jobs sort of being advertised. Oh, sorry, 1,000 to 1,000, 1,100 um, jobs advertised across the, the market from what we would judge as sort of industry specific. Um, last year, we we hit a record of um, 10,000 and, and it was just um, an unbelievable number. So so it was the highest ever that we'd seen at sort of 10,775. The highest before that was the year before, um, which was sort of a mid 9,000. So the the job adverts have just been crazy. And, and a lot of that is down to, yeah, people that have lost their traditional sourcing of staff through COVID in 2020. Um, and obviously the migrant sort of issues as well. But what, what also happened was a, a real increase in salaries. So, so we do a lot of data analysis on um, payroll information for agribusinesses. So we, we work with around 170 odd um, different size to, to look at their payroll information. The payroll data that we were seeing was um, overall, most employees got a base salary increase of about 6.5%. Um, and the real standout from that was production roles. So on-farm production roles, the general sort of base salary that you're seeing with all those people increased about nine to ten percent on their base salary. So um, again, what that implied was um, retention strategies and and people that are probably you know, last time I think we're on we we're talking about you know um, piece rates and and base and how that salary conversation was happening around minimal salary wages. That that data actually tells you that that issue is actually not a problem as such with a lot of these um, industries at the moment because they can't find staff. So, so to be competitive, they're actually naturally driving up that um, minimum salary piece. And, and what staff were doing was um, internally negotiating or reviewing their salaries with employ with their companies because they knew that they were short on staff. So um, what was what, what, what that information actually shows was if uh, traditionally what people think is if they go to a new job, that's how they're going to get a salary increase. So I'll approach the opposition and I'll get a 15 or 10K increase. What a lot of that information actually showed was the new employees were getting probably about a two to three percent increase compared to incumbents in those roles. So what what that actually showed was a lot of that information, those increases were coming from established employees within the businesses that were renegotiating, or or companies were being proactive enough to go to staff and go, look, we're already 
two hands short. We can't be three or four. What do we need to retain you? So so what we probably saw was not a... So sometimes you people think if there's not as many people employed, it won't cost as much to run that operation, that that wasn't the case. That it was probably being cost just as much because they were having to compensate the other staff, you know, to be able to pick up the load and, and to work, especially in a production environment, um, probably higher hours or, or more than they were expecting. With, um, with that... You're saying about like I mean staff retention is when you do get some good staff, that's a key kind of thing you've got to focus on, I guess, or at any time, and particularly in times that are tight. But I just wondered too, if you keep any stats on like the frequency of turnover of jobs that people are experiencing as well. Is that are people more willing in this environment to to active even if they're in a, in, in work, are they looking and are they changing jobs more frequently because of these opportunities and higher salaries or is yeah. you know, or is that is that fairly static that kind of number of people that do change but that um, that number probably is more it, that's numbers a tough one to put specifics on because it's obviously based on turn each company will have a turnover number and a rate that they do most ag businesses would be between sort of three to five percent turnover rate in terms of total but again that is that be- is that annual Annual yeah, turnover, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But that, that could be based on that would be in a normal year. I mean, there's a lot of there's so many industry specific things that can happen in our our space around that. What what you probably um see a lot more of is the old school approach of well, and, and that's probably an interesting thing. We always have a chat with companies around is trying to get the head around people that might have moved three or four jobs in the last six years because that's not how they used to do it when they and as a hiring manager they're sitting there going, well, hang on, I've worked in my job for fifteen years. Why is this person so jumpy? Um, and, and that's probably the push and pull that you see from the, the the newer trend is people might be going into contract roles or they might be, you know, um, definitely because of COVID, they might have lost their jobs or how uh, actually in our industry, a lot more it's around drought. So it's not uncommon, you know, for us to deal with someone coming out of a grain business, for example, um, prior to 2020 that had been made redundant three times before they're 30. Um, hmm. so, so they literally can't have stayed in a job for as long as the the um you know predecessors would have as well. So a lot of a lot of that turnover is is not necessarily um yeah people do jump around a little bit more probably than they used to previously. But again, it's a little bit of a issue for hiring managers is now is to get your head around why are people leaving and 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 we always say to can if anyone's leaving a job, you just got to have a reason for why you're leaving, not you're leaving because you want to leave, um because how, really that's a red flag. And how many how many operators? Uh, would do an exit interview in their staff that do leave. Is that is that something that's common or not as common as it should be? Because I would I would suspect that's something that you know every business should be doing. Otherwise, you don't know you know why you're potentially losing these good staff. Spot, spot on. Yeah, spot on. Uh, look, I, I would suggest not as many are doing as they should. Some of the more corporates are doing it, but I would be again asking: Are they asking the right questions? Um, so some of the more international systems will have it as a you know they'll have HR teams of six or seven people that are based around, you know, ticking the box, but are they asking the right reasons? For what why? should they, what should they be asking? What are the, say the top three they should really try and find out? I'd be, I'd be doing a twofold interview. I'd be doing one formal interview, which is, you know, what have you learned from the role? What could we maybe learn to hire? Or what do you think this job should be? Um, that's often sometimes the case of somebody who's done the role is you get a lot more feedback of what the role could be or, or should be done. I'd also be doing an off the record one. We're going, well, you know, now we're not recording what's the issue with the hiring manager or especially some sort of regional sites um you know if say diversity is always a massive issue for companies try to hire into but the interesting areas would be are those you know for putting young women into some of these sites or or, or or um that have been traditionally male dominated is that actually you know something that the hire the, the current managers in those businesses are working with because that that's a real challenge i think if, if you look at a diversity piece is 
you know, not necessarily hiring and finding the people, it's actually retaining sometimes um, and, and being that business that people want to go to. Because I can think of a number of companies who, you know, we advertise roles for companies or we'll go to market for them. And you you hear a lot of stuff that you then try to push back through to the company. And a lot of it is, oh, yeah, we know about that. So, so they're not actually then, but then they can't find people. So again, it's one of those ones of if you know that that's an issue, are you actioning that issue or are you just accepting that that's the issue here? Mm. And you mentioned, you know, as well in your in your summary of the year, and everyone knows how tight it's been in some sec- sections, right? But I, I noted too that Australia is not the only country that's had shortages of labour. We've had a, a the part of this podcast we do that sheep forum one where we talk to a couple of sheep producers from different parts of the country, and so far we've done New Zealand and USA, and they've both mentioned issues around labour as being one of their key issues. Um, we, we know that there's labour issues in the UK. I think post-Brexit there was quite a few areas where they were deficient in numbers of, you know, I think truck drivers was one particular one that stood out. So this is this phenomenon of, of, of kind of lack of labour or lack of certain skilled labour in certain areas is, is not uncommon to other parts of the world. Um, is is there a, a like? And I know Australia's had issues with migration. We've had COVID and, and and lack of backpackers, so it's you know it's been impacting a couple of different parts of the labour force here. But it seems to me that there's also some kind of a structural issue in some areas. Is it just that we're not in some areas aren't attracting enough, say, graduates or people to consider a role, or and and are there areas? Um, you know, jobs that are actually oversubscribed with people presently as well. I mean, you know, is, is it is it is it shortages all around, or are there are some where you can find you got find plenty of X Y Z type work? Um, so so I can give you probably asked a fair few things. Uh, so yep. there's a couple anecdotal. So so first of all, my bigger broader comment of that would be, say, Australia, New Zealand, um, America, and England are really good examples of. Jobs that are labour shortages, which are the real, really large labour shortages, are often your your entry level blue collar roles. So what you're finding is there's a, a high dem- there's a high increase of roles where people um, uh, are needed versus the people that are available. Do they want to do those jobs? So so that's really the disconnect between say a lot of the Australians sort of you know in the meat or or on farm. Are there people that actually want to do those jobs? Because the other issue that's arisen is probably that mid tier to sort of entry level white collar role. Um, and often where you're finding, so where, say, you know, like a, um, some of the large corporates will promote from is off those properties or they'll come off sort of a, a production line into a supervisor, into a team leader role. Um, they're promoting those people because they don't have, they, they are again missing people at all levels of employment. Um, so where you're promoting is the good people from production roles. Um, but that means there's opportunities um, at just at that bottom end. And there's really a very low migrant um, workforce, which is traditionally taken on those jobs. Um, so I think across the board, the migrant area is an issue. You know, it's not only an issue here, it's the same as in America. Um, America's got some really public areas around, you know, do they continue? They've, they've introduced an act which contains migrant workers, but they then can't find workers. So they don't want migrants to come in, but they also don't want to do the work that they expect migrants to do, which is a classic one, you know, through that sort of Southern um, America area. And I think Australia is the same area where, you know, British backpackers, we've just agreed with that free trade agreement where they've, they're up to go up to 35 now. Um, but a lot of those rules around what was traditional six month of harvest work has changed to not to be a lot looser. Um, and um, so, so that's where, uh, so, so there's some traditional work. But the other actual thing that anecdotally I've heard as well is say if people are looking for millers or some of those other roles in say the feed mill or the, um, that, that food production space, 
they're actually poaching other migrants from each other. So, so what? it's actually a really good area if you're a migrant to get in because then companies are happy to poach from other migrant programs that are here. That's how desperate they've sort of been in, in terms of um, Papua New Guinea and, and a few of those sort of um, South Asian what? areas are really good flour mills and a few of those areas that come into cotton ginners and all those other areas. Um, if they can get into the country, they're 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 very employable and, and they're also very long term employees too, which that they often don't um step step beyond sort of production environments because that's what they're looking to do, or or they might have a tenure on what they're trying to do in a, in a um in that milling area. So a lot of what they do are actually really it's just actually finding them and getting in the country. And, mm-hmm. and to your point around graduates, yeah. So graduates. Look, graduates in, in our space, um, I think it's really under communicate. We've worked for 10 or nine, uh, 10 years to try to look at high school programs. Everyone has a bit of a reinvention of, right, well, let's get high schoolers involved in farming or let's get um, these things. It's it just, I think it's a never ending sort of conversation. The, the bit that's interesting to me is how graduates become appreciated once you need workers. But what gets scrapped as soon as there's a downturn or there's a drought or there's a forecasted season is a graduate program. So um, it's a classic one where everybody suddenly screams and goes, well, where's the graduate? Why is there no one with two to three years experience? But you can actually easily track, you know, where those opportunities are. And, and you know, a good example as well is of graduate employment is, is their base salaries. We would suggest that a graduate base salary, now if you're coming out of a um, bachelor's program, that base salary to be competitive needs to be around sixty-five to seventy thousand at the moment, and most companies would traditionally see that around forty-eight to fifty-five thousand. Um, and there'll be some that are stoic enough to try to say that's what we pay our graduates because that impacts all the other um, salary increases. But the reality is, it's a you know it's a commodity that's um, the same as any other commodity. You've got to pay what you've got to pay to be competitive, and um, there's just some unbelievable numbers that were thrown around last year to some graduates that we were speaking to that some were getting four or five offers and almost being pitched at, um, you know, to, uh, to compete against others. And, and it's just a, um, a, a yeah, a interesting period, as I said at the top. Mm. Is there, is there one thing, and I know I asked a, an embedded question with lots in there, so I can understand that you, you missed this one, but were there, were there, are there roles or areas where there's plenty of workers? Uh, yeah uh, so so there's areas there should be more workers let's put it that way so so there's areas that people should be getting a lot easier in terms of say um you know transferable roles where people are just still doing the old school approach of well they haven't come from a property or they don't really understand you know a grower so they can't do an admin role or they can't do marketing or they can't do accounting those they're all every area i'd suggest is short um where there's probably plenty of people in terms of sorry i shouldn't say plenty but where you probably don't see as much um, fight over is probably middle management roles. There's probably a, there's plenty of people in middle management roles at the moment, which um, so we're putting up a role that's sort of between sort of 120 to 200K. You, you see a fairly frequent sort of uh, candidate pool coming through. Um, I, I've sort of said to a few people, we've been catching up with a couple of clients that have coffees. And I think the big interesting turnover for the first period of this year will be CEO or top tier sort of recruit uh, um, a turnover because there's been a fair few sort of CEOs that have announced their retirement sort of last year and um, a number I think have literally so you know you asked about Christmas a number of those sort of top tier 
um, individuals will put dates in their mind around this is I've got three or four years or five years in this in this business and then they'll transition into another one and and COVID's really sort of put a lot of business skills into that as well so this is and, and I've just seen from our own advertising and, and other businesses that are advertising there's a lot of CEOs that step down end of last year or middle of last year that will be replaced and you'll see a lot of turnover which which again will be interesting to see how that changes a few cultures of businesses as well. Is there is there actual just when you're saying that I was thinking about like because in obviously commodity markets you have seasonality of of the commodity and there's certain things that happen through the year that's seasonal based um, a lot of time driven by the weather or whatever you know but but within the recruitment space what are there dedicated kind of busy times like for accountant tax seasons a busy time and whatnot are there are there a couple of times in the year that there seems to be bunches of when people look to change work or Yep. You know, does it does it does it happen? Like I'm just thinking too that sometimes when you change a job or you move to a new place, you do it around the school year as well. If you've got kids, does that does that happen also with work? That that this time of the year with graduates finishing courses and whatnot, it's the busy time of the year for you. Grad graduates is different. Grad graduates no. Um, it, it's pro it's more so that the graduates it could be, but it depends on how many go back to harvest or work in contractor roles, which is often where you see grad so. That's traditionally when graduates might look for roles is sort of end of January because they've gone hard, they've gone and contracted or something like that post their finish of studies in October. Um, but what we saw last year was so many have almost committed to roles six or nine months out. So um, if you're looking for a graduate now, I think you'd you'd probably find a couple, but it wouldn't be as many as it was prior to um, two years ago. The the old school thinking in terms of recruitment always was all from our perspective was always Melbourne Cup through to Australia Day was the quieter periods because what often occurred was um, you either had harvesting occurring so people were too busy to be able to actually um, look at hiring or, or want to change jobs as well. Um, the other bit was um, uh, the hiring managers aren't around because they're on holidays. So so often what you'll see is everybody's back in the work for, you know, back in the offices mid-January and then they can suddenly go, right, well, we've had so-and-so resign or we've had so-and-so quit this is what we're going to do to do that. Um, if you look at the advertising numbers, the advertising um, implies November, December is the quietest because, again, end of seasonality, Christmas sort of shutdowns. Um, January to March is always a really busy. I, I always say to Candace, you know, post-Australia Day, that's when you should be really keeping an eye on what's coming around because that's when some really interesting opportunities pop out. Um, then, then the biggest peak is August because it's then actually August, July, sorry, July, August, because what happens then with a lot of government groups or um, industry bodies is they'll have budgets approved up until the financial year. Um, and then July, they'll be able to advertise for roles. Or people unhappy with their end of financial year bonus or something. Or, or not, not like generally correct. So like Andrew would know this, but like say end of March, April, when a lot of the traders or the commodity businesses pay out their bonuses in the end of harvest. That's mm. I mean, that next day is when we get a fair few calls or just people just sort of saying, right, well, this is, and again, it comes down to timelines. People internally give themselves of this is the next, this is what I'm going to go around again. School, school year is a good one. Christmas is a good one because they then go away and go, right, well, I just don't want to go back or I just can't be bothered to work in that space again. And 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 that's probably more in a white collar space that Rimfire work in. Blue, blue collar, I think it's, again, it's, um, it's, I just, I've described it this way as a few people that the current labor market, it's not something that you can come back in Christmas and it's restarted. Like mm. it's the same as if you've got containers in China or, you know, the container market that we had over the last sort of 18 months, there's a backlog there that it's, these things don't just get created. So um, whilst people often think that coming into the new year, there's going to be 
you know, a lot of new candidates, that, that that implies that there's been candidates that have been sitting there that haven't had opportunities. Like there's been so many opportunities that have been around for the last um, 18 months that um, that that's just not going to happen. So so we, even if all the predictions are true around, you know, potential recession, all these other things in the broader market, um, I'd suggest from an employment perspective, that's not going to solve itself at all, even if it, it is related. If, if, and also what we've always seen is ag is always a little bit independent to recessions um, in the space. It's really more drought that impacts roles and um, recruitment sort of strategy. Um, so even if there is a recession, broadly speaking, what actually that means is ag is more attractive. So that could solve some people wanting to come into the sector, um, but that doesn't actually imply that people are happy to employ people that haven't worked in the sector. Um, which is actually a is is a bigger industry problem. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And you've you been you've mentioned graduates a few times as well. Um, now's the kind of I guess the season. You're saying that, that, that but you mentioned a lot of grads that are out there may have already secured a spot and are just get waiting to start. Um, if you know, for those that are that are not yet there, or say say for graduates in this year that are doing their final year this year, what advice have you got for them in terms of what should they be kind of looking to do to to kind of you know make the best chances of their of their kind of employment when they when they get ready to kind of go for that first job? Yeah, so so look, I'd be there's a couple sort of transferable sort of comments, but also graduate specific. So I. I we, we do a, a program called GradLink. GradLink's been around for about twenty years, and we connect with every agricultural um, industry group at association level at all the universities. So we literally will, you know, buy them a couple slabs and suddenly they're, they're our best friends. Um, it's a very simple process <laughs> um, around how it all works. But we, so we speak to a lot of grads around it. What, what, what we always say to them is you, start of year two is when you really should be looking um, and, and really probably not looking at roles, but more just scoping out what opportunities are. So um, I think most, un, most people would indicate if they're coming out of uni, the bad thing that you, sorry, the thing that unis don't do great is they don't actually tell you what jobs are there. So you might study animal science or you might study agronomy uh, or plant science, but do you actually know who employs agronomists or do you know who is actually the business? In and, and and you'd be surprised by how many graduates can't even, you know, recognize business names or, or like the, Cargill is a great one. No one knows who Cargill is. They might've heard AWB. Um, they might've heard of Grain Corp. Like there, there's very even if they come off property, they might know who their local supplier is. They don't know national names. So there's really limited. So what we always say to students is you should be, if you're looking at um, a, a potential job, and, and this is to anyone, you know, you should be looking at adverts. Um, you should be looking at uh, the market in the sense of any other market to get your head around what type of jobs are out there, who employs these people. what what. So when you are ready to pull the trigger, you've already got a bit of information, which is all very public facing. Um, gra graduates, if you're coming into your final year now, you've almost got a month before you start, before everyone starts advertising. Um, I know verbatim, like say down at Marcus in Geelong here, most of those Marcus students had about four opportunities or five opportunities pitched to them by March. Like, and and they, they weren't finishing for a year. Um, and, and they're just, uh, it's, it's, sorry, those graduates should treat themselves as that sort of commodity as well. They should be scoping out what they want to do. Um, I'd also be saying the interesting thing about any graduates coming out now is that it's been, an, it's been a COVID impact study period. So um, a number of them, if you've come out of, say, degrees in Melbourne, Brisbane, um, or Sydney, um, might have only ever lived in the city. They've never lived, they've never understood a production environment. They might have even just done their degree via online. Um, so 
what that has seen is a lack of technical experience or technical understanding of, of the industry. So if you're one of those students, I'd be telling you, you know, if you're looking for a, a role during any of the breaks, you should, instead of pulling beers or, you know, making coffee somewhere, you should be sitting on a header or, or, you know, working on one of these stations for a period of time, because then when you go to the market, you you got to look at the same as anything else. You're just making yourself more attractive to employers. Um, and the other bit too, is if you're a graduate, um, the other bit that we always say to students is too is there's never a better time to actually hit up someone for a um, coffee or a chat around career opportunities than when you're a student. Um, because if you're a student and you're, say, if you text Andrew, um, who looks like he's about to fall asleep, um, if you text Andrew and say, mate, I'm about to, I've just finished Melbourne, a Bachelor of Agriculture, can I buy you a coffee and just have a chat to you around how your career's progressed? Only a real Scottish uh, bastard would turn around to him and go, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm fine. Most people will say yes. Um, and, but the other reality of it is if I was to do it and I was to text someone and say, mate, I'm a 35-year-old bloke just wanting to understand how you got into your career, most people are going to go, no, I'm pretty busy, mate. Like, no, that's not what I want to do. But so you've got to take advantage of that student label um, and actually, you know, network properly at that stage because it'll actually come to benefit a lot, a lot further down. So, so, and and I'd be saying that to anyone if you if you're coming out, it's the best time to even approach businesses and say, can I shadow someone for a month, or can I just sit in there and understand how you know this store works as a merch manager for six weeks? And and most of them are going to say yes because they actually want another set of hands anyway. Um, and it's actually a really good opportunity to sort of be able to understand the space. Whereas if you're coming into a drought year, or if it's a year where there's not as many jobs, most people just aren't interested in the conversation. They're, they're trying to get through. They're trying to actually, you know, justify all the other elements versus at the moment, everyone's so busy that they'll, another set of hands would be a godsend. Mm, yeah. Where do they sit though? If you've got someone say a graduate shadowing, and I know we have, we get requested from time to time at episode three for people that are midway through the course and they've got to do a two week placement oh, yeah, or a five week. Placement. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. But so someone coming across and asking to shadow for a month where they're, they're technically not really doing anything other than just, you know, watching. hanging around watching. Um, are you required? What's what's the ruling around? Should they be getting paid, or is that just a you know? It's not really a a formal uh, you know kind of period. So therefore, you know, as long as you're not as long as you're not having them doing productive stuff on a day to day basis where you should be paying them, then that's okay. So yeah, so it, it depends on the it depends on how you'd actually terminal term uh, internally in the business term the employee. If they're an intern or something like that, you might be giving them a you know base salary, which is very much casual rates around minimum em employment. If it's a placement or it's an internship through the university, a lot of the times the university covers what that um, advice would be. So if they're coming at you from a, a one of the schools, they'll often give you a package around this is how it all works, this is what I'm, what I'm going to do, and and it'd be the same on farm as well. So so th that would be um, mostly dependent on what the actual approach is. The other the, the best way to do it if you're a student is harvest work. Because you're just on the same contract as any other harvest employee, but you're just literally, you know, getting a, an actual uh, an insight. The other one is say like an internship that, that that those are internship rates which you can negotiate. But the casual wage, if you're an office clerk in Victoria, it's you know it's twenty six, twenty five bucks or something like that as well an hour. So you know, there there it's it's actually more if you're covered from insurance from an employee perspective and in, in terms of having those people in the car. The, the other bit though. You know where where companies need to be smarter is offering those type of programs at an early point. So if you're a you know say a a, a Muir's or, or one of those companies that have got a lot of agros across a regional facility, but you've got your agronomists who know the local kids, um, what they should be doing is at the end of second year is getting them in the car for three months, you know, a couple of weeks, giving them an idea because at the end of the next year they're going to be looking for a job. 
And if that's that's how you get the first, you know, first crack of that market is you've got somebody that already understands the business. That's what they want to do. So they're the first, you're going to be the first point of call. So a lot of companies need to be able to be a lot more open to having those students try the entry level and put the time into it um, because that'll actually solve a lot of, um, you know, recruitment or talent issues as well. Mm. And you're saying from what you've outlined there with regards to graduates, you're effectively saying that for most of the course you're doing, you should be as a graduate already starting to think well ahead and 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 plan around what you're wanting to do and start the ball rolling in your spare time, trying to network, you know, trying to talk to people within the sector you're interested in as you're doing your studies, right? What about for, for, for your average kind of punter then that's been out working for a while? Would, do you think there's enough people, like I know if you're comfortable in your job, you don't tend to like look for other jobs, but do you think, you know, and this is coming from someone now that's changed career a few times. So the way I do stuff or used to do stuff before I was now owning my own business when I was an employee was, you know, I never used to look for a job in the early days, you know, cause I was working and I was happy. But then once I'd changed jobs a few times, um, I found that every now and then I just, I wasn't dissatisfied in my work, but I'd every now and then once a month, I just have a bit of a look around what's going just, just to keep relevant and, and present and understand what's happening. Do you think, people should be doing that like all the time, um, you know, or from a recruiter's perspective, you should be talking to a recruiter every day of your life. Um, and, and, you know, just giving me updates of where you need to be. Um, so, 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 um, yeah, so look, I'd be touching on, um, so, so what, what's always interesting. I always find is when you're talking to business managers or CEOs or, you know, learned individuals like yourself, um, they, they get to the point where they realize they want to be across what's happening in their space. And and also roles are, you know, employment's a big piece of that as well. And they're thinking about themselves. The thing that I think a lot of people in their early stage of their career think is, I don't want to leave, say, this employee because they've given me an opportunity and, and I'm in such an important cog that it'll all fall over and I've got such a big footprint here. The reality is the business will keep operating the day after you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what people find uh, and they and there's a bit of a maturity piece around that is they realize well look what do i want or what do i actually need out of something versus what's should i be here between eight to eight just doing this job and, and ticking off because i might become this that my the guy above me job in 10 years when he leaves um what, what i think often the advice i always give to anyone that's thinking about how they should go about their career is find a mentor within the space that's not necessarily a boss it's more of a mentor to be able to say Right. Well, you know, what would you suggest? How how long should I be working in this sort of space for? Or should I move internally into this other space? Or how do I sort of, you know, pump up the career? We obviously as a recruitment agency can provide that external perspective, but I think you always want those internal. And, and some of the better young guys that are, you know, I'm sort of mid thirties and there's a couple of guys that I've known for 10 or 11 years that have um, been in the space that came out of uni. And I know from some of the guys that we sort of see and, and have really got their career going sort of in a good trajectory has been, they will say to me, so-and-so has given me this advice that I should be having a chat to you or I should be looking at these type of roles or I should do this sort of course or education. And it's that type of conversation you should be having to expand your opportunities because the only thing you're sort of missing out is, sorry, by, by not understanding it or not exploring, it, you're just sort of cutting yourself off to those opportunities because the worst, so it's the same as if you want to become, you know, later in your career, a director or a non-executive director or something like that do you know the courses that you need to have completed or the, you know, the, the things you need to have done to get into that perspective? Because you don't want to say, all right, well, I'm now turning 40. I want to get an NED role. Um, but then you've realized you've got to go and do these certain qualifications or courses, which are the bare minimum to become an NED. So, so it's that type of, you know, conversation you want to be having as early as you can in your career to understand, well, do I want to do an MBA now 
before I have kids or do I want to move interstate and do a role before I, you know, need to then be somewhere where there's better schooling and, and all those sort of career trajectory roles would conversations, which sometimes people just have when it's a bit too late. And you're, you're suggesting that, that a recruitment you know, person such as yourself could be the, you know, the type of person you could talk to, but if it, like, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, and I'm thinking maybe that there's not a lot of people that do exactly what you're outlining there, right. Have that level of, um, planning around you know how they're gonna you know but if if that was if if that was say it was to increase by you know uh 20 the people doing that that would make you an incredibly busy person wouldn't it uh, i'd suggest i'm already you know satisfied <laughs> with my workload <laughs> um, but oh but but I, I think also that you would see then um look again i think that's the element where some people need to be, be a bit more selfish around their career goals and 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 just be and, and not necessarily act on it you just got to be aware of it. And it's the same thing we say to graduates. So the same thing we say to graduates is if they get to the end of their course and then they think that they should now start looking for jobs, you've missed the window by about 18 months because end of the day, there's somebody else that will want that job. So if you're applying to a job, there's going to be, say, there's 60 people coming out of Melbourne's Bachelor of Ag and there's 58 other people have been thinking about it for the last 18 months, but you're the one that's gone, right, well, I just need to get through this course and I'm going to think you're going to be placed 59th realistically in in that sort of group because you're competing against everyone else. So it's the same internally in a company. If you know, if you're the one going to your boss or your manager and saying, hey, I want to do this course or I want to be doing this type of education, again, that sort of foresight actually so shows that you're thinking about your career and that those businesses will naturally think about, you know, with you within them internally. So what I'm saying is not necessarily you need to leave your job or you need to do anything like that. It's more having foresight around what do you want to do from a career perspective? And, you know, again, really good advice I always heard from a couple of people at Fonterra was that they always found that if anyone had committed to the business to work regionally for them early on, they then always found a role for them back in head office that would sort of jump them ahead of a couple others. But you only really know that if you've already been told and open to those opportunities as well. So you've always got to be open to those opportunities in my, in my mind. And, and and going back to graduates, sorry, I just thought of something as well. The bit that graduates should be doing is is reaching out to industry groups a lot earlier on. And this is what we always say. We, we go to the meat judging and a few of the other sort of industry um, specific graduate programs. And the number one thing I always say to them is on LinkedIn or any of those things, you should be engaging with um, the MLA, Dairy Australia, um, GRDC, all, all those industry bodies because the amount of opportunities they offer to students that they only really advertise on their platforms. So what a GRDC person would say on LinkedIn versus what a student sees is very different because that's how the algorithm works. But, you know, you can get tickets to Evoke, you can get tickets to um, uh, any of the industry sort of uh, days and these conferences for free if you're a student versus if mm. me or you wanted to go, Matt, or, or Angela, we've got to either exhibit or we've got to pay two or three grand to go to these you know things to be there. You know, Dairy Australia, Dairy Week, the IWD is next week in Shepparton. If you're a student, you don't have work for the next three weeks. You should be in Shepparton next week just having a poke around. Mm. Right? There's no real, um, but but again, you don't know that until you're actually making yourself open to that information that's coming from outside the university. Um, and and I, I would have thought all those industry groups offer really good um, in scholarships, um, opportunities to students that they don't know. And often they don't know until they're open to looking. And that might be at the end of their final year. Um, mm. And it's amazing when we do this grading program, when you sit down with them, you have a pizza, you have a Coke with them or something, and you're having a chat around what do they know, and it's, it's really limited. So if you're a company that can get in there early and, and understand, you know, or if you're a student that can be really good at marketing yourself, you jump ahead of the queue so quickly. And and, and I think it's the same with, you know, in in, in companies, if you're, you've got, you know, five or six territory sales managers that are looking to become the next regional sales manager, 
um, you know, who's done, who's already made the step internally to have a chat around education and, you know, all these other things to, to you know, promote yourself. Mm, no, fair enough. Well, we're probably we're probably nearly coming towards the end of the time. I can see Andrew's just barely struggling through the moment. With Been a strong contribution from our Scottish s- friends. Severe injury. Well, I'll just I'll probably finish with this last one. Just you know, you mentioned before in your outset on your summary of what happened last year and what you're probably expecting for this year. But do you think um, you know? I know that the the Labor current Labor government is trying to do their best to alleviate some of the the issues around you know Labor supply, but. Do you think for 2023, are we, are we through the worst of it now in terms of that shortage or, or is there still a fair way to go or is the worst still yet to come, do you think, in your view? Um, I think we're in the peak, but how long that peak lasts for is a little bit of a, a hard estimate. I'd suggest what companies are starting to realise is how to work with that workload. Um, so um, automation, electronics, there's some really interesting sort of uh you know, the horticultural industry to me has always been pretty advanced around uh, robotics and, and a few sort of um, precision ag tools that they've done over the last sort of 10 years, which has alleviated a lot of their um, packing shed sort of work. So I would expect that to then go into a picking stage and, you know, the earlier stage from a production. And um, I, I think they're a really good example of people that might not be necessarily through their labour issues, but are already looking at tools to help them with those labour issues. So I'd imagine what's probably going to happen in 2023 is there's some really interesting tools that might emerge because, you know, how everything works with technology and, and how that comes to market. I think that would be um, really interesting. But, I mean, again, that creates new jobs for people to be able to monitor those um, those tools as well. So th- there's opportunities that will emerge from that. But where look, where I think that, that there will be uh, maybe a... a not as much of a demand is on the um, blue collar side. I think the blue collar side will probably square itself out just and, and um, that'll probably even itself out. The white collar error, I just don't see that sort of unclogging itself um, for a period of time. So I think if you're, um, it's a really good opportunity for, to look for new opportunities because companies are probably more open to hiring people um, because they just need a set of hands and they've only, you know, they've, what we see at the moment is people might've given themselves a couple months off hiring and now they've really got to find people going into the new season and especially if there's another good outlook for a forecast from a uh, harvest perspective going into you know this year uh, that always provides really good optimism um but uh yeah from a company perspective i think they should just be looking at you know broader tools rather than the traditional they haven't worked in a competitor or they haven't worked in this area so people have just got to be a bit more um understanding of that this isn't going away so they've got to find an issue if they want to hire or they're just not going to be able to hire. Mm, no, fair enough. Well, there we go. Some great insights from Dr. Chris Hoiberg from Rimfire Resources. Uh, Andrew, before we close up, anything anything you want to kind of add, final words, just so the, the listeners that like listening to your voice can hear you at least one more time? Nothing to add. Everyone asks, quite often the feedback is, Andrew, you need to talk less. So yeah. you know. <laughs> let's, let's, t- let's test the numbers. Let's, see, what, let's see how the return listeners work. <laughs> Uh, you know, so choking on the naan bread wasn't really what happened. You just decided you'd just see how it goes. Yeah. Okay. The naan bread was a suspicious story from the get-go because it's, you know, that's that's the least likely of all things. He looks like he knows how to eat a naan bread rather than anything else. <laughs> I'm going to, when we get off this, I'll have a look at on, online to see about, you know, naan bread injuries and see if it's fairly common to, to get, you know, lacerations in your throat from the, the, the flaky crusty bit of the naan bread maybe oh, you just it's, it's tight maybe you just put maybe you just put too much stuff too much in as you were you know devouring the curry i think that was it, well, maybe just too many black sausages for breakfast could be could be or else or else time. <laughs> we've actually we're organizing um 
to, to, to I'll do a quick Hoiberg tangent before we before we close that um, if you'd listened earlier on in one of the much earlier episodes, we had um, Jim Arrowsmith from Pacton Park on. Oh, I, I um, know exactly what we're going to say. Yeah. Well, so we're, we're going, we're going, we're on a bit of a road trip um, later this month, uh, coming down from uh, from Canberra to Melbourne. So we're going to detour past Moama and catch up and have a look at the Pacton Park factory. So we're, we're very excited about that. Hopefully your, um, your throat injury is up to, up to scratch before then, Andrew. It'll be fine by then. Well, that I actually this is more of a self flagration for you guys. That's the episode <laughs> I recommend to anyone. Like I, oh, I reckon, really? I've, if I'm in a car with anyone, I'll put that episode on and just say, "You got to listen to this. This is one of the most fascinating." It, just that business. Like you, I know you guys joke that you're on the payroll. I reckon I'm like I've never recruited for the business, but I reckon I know the operation back. And I've even looked at around. I'm in Richmond here in Melbourne, but mm. I know who supplies it around here. The other, I thought you were going to say about the chieftain. Because that's oh, the right. we yeah. want to set up a chieftain dinner, uh, because of what you were talking about with that. Isn't that is that a Scottish? Is yeah, that it is. That's the most like I've never seen anyone in our business get more excited than when I described to them how that works. And that's almost gonna that was almost gonna be our Christmas party was we were gonna make it burn stuff. Oh, I was watching we we because uh, often on free to air TV there's rubbish on TV for most of the channels, but usually the, my my uh, current wife and I will almost always end up on, there's SBS have got the food channel yeah. and they often do repeats of that fella, um, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, yeah. And the la- the one on last week was him in Glasgow. I nearly texted you, Andrew, to say, oh, check this out because they were talking about all the, you know, how it's got a tough reputation with stabbings and blah, blah, blah. But then he went to one of the chippy places with the fryer and they had deep fried haggis. It bloody looked excellent, right? Deep it's fried haggis. Yeah, well, he he was scoffing into it big time. So yeah. and he knows his food. Here's, so. here's on his chest. Yeah. Well, yeah, so, yeah, look at. If you go on to ABC, ABC's got an interesting um, set of stories at the moment around agricultural workforce. They actually put up an interesting one about avocados the other day. If you're bored, um, about sort of opportunity, employment opportunities, and videos, and that gets. It's, I reckon those videos are really good because it gives you a good idea of you know how do these jobs actually work. So if you're coming in to be a packer or a picker mm. or one of those things that actually that's what we always said to companies put it on your c-card put a put a tour of where you're going to work oh yeah 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 like office. a little little three minute kind of yeah, clip so if or you something. guys are advertising for your next analyst you know this yeah. is what this is what we have breakfast with each other off this we'll, we'll do a tiktok video we'll get clint jasper to help us do a tiktok video of, you know if we're looking for staff just to show where we're you know up with the with the with the modern times, you know, and it's Andrew sort of dancing or sort of twerking in the office behind, uh, you know, just yeah. to get the fans twerking with to, with a naan bread in each hand. Right, all right, we're done. Okay, well, thanks again, Ryan, for um, for coming on and, and giving us a bit of an insight to the markets, and um, I'm sure we'll have you back at yeah, pretty much uh, co-hosting. Uh, while uh, while the injured wheat watcher you know just sits in the background, um, hope you've enjoyed it. We'll uh, we'll see you when you got nothing on. <laughs>